was like a very life-changing decade. But if I settle for that, it's, not, it, it's settling for good rather than God. And I really want what God has because whenever he prunes something, he actually takes away something that is fruitful so that you can bear even more fruit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the risk, and I'm going to lean into what God has for this decade because I need something fresh. We need some new wine, some new, new oil, some new wine skins. And so we got to move into some fresh things with the Lord. And so that's what we're trying to do, and that's what this message series is about if you'll apply it to your life. And so we ended, and I gave you this, uh, this diagram, so to speak, of, of next steps that you can do to kind of begin to revise your thinking, revise your thinking. And, and there's a six-step process on that and just beginning to write down things, record it, so to record it, go through it. You want to process what some of these limiting beliefs, because you have limiting beliefs that you have created or have been created for you. Maybe it's your family structure, your school, your upbringing, your culture of the community. Maybe it's the church or university you went through. But there's some kind of limiting belief that keeps you from being all God created you to be. And so processing that and then examining that, reframing it was step four or rejecting it and revising it was step four. Sometimes I just need to say, you know, sometimes when you start to think about things that you believe, you wonder, why did that, where did that even start? Why do I believe that? That's ridiculous. And so you just kind of, you're able to push that out of the way. But then there's some other stuff that you're really, you're really caught up in, and it's hard to think past that thing, even when it comes to Scripture or trusting others or believing others or your boss or whatever the case may be, maybe me. And you're like, man, i got this limiting belief that won't allow me to see past that. And so many of us do. We all do have limiting beliefs. But until we start to process those and really work those out and we can see it and externalize it, that's the process of writing it down seeing it on paper. There's something that happens from your head to your hand that helps you to externalize what you think and what you actually believe so that you can be confronted with it and you can address it. And then you can say, why is it that I believe that? And then you take it to the Word of God. Now, all these songs that we just sang, thank you very much, Delaney and Noreen, no sin, no shame. Like, some of us walk around with sin and shame. Well, why am I carrying that? That's not what God's Word says. In the first song, I am who you say I am. Well, why do I act like who I say I am? Or, or I take on the identity of what my mama said, or my daddy said, or my pastor said, or my boss said. You'll never mount to this. You'll never do this. You'll never... Why do I listen? My teacher said this. You're such... Why, do, why has that become my identity, and I've taken that on as my own script? No, I want to rewrite, rewrite those things and work them according to the framework of God's Word because His identity, I am who He says I am. And then we reorient. We, when we reframe it, we reorient it. Well, what does that mean? It means to transform. Romans 12, 2 says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To reorient is, as I may not feel like it, but I'm going to choose to walk in it as if it is because that's what God says I, I am. You know, there's a perfect example, and I'll use it next week probably, in Joel 3.10, where God is telling his people, the Israelites, they had gone through rough situation, but he says, hey, now it's time for you to start beating your plowshares and turn them into weapons. And he says, let the weakling declare, I am strong. Now, what was the difference? A declaration and a belief that he, they feel like they're weak, but now he's saying, no, I'm strong. Well, in God, you are all these things. And in God, you can do all these things. And in God, you are truly invisible because nothing is impossible with him. But it's got to be his. It can't be out of our pride in our own way, in our own ego, in our own desires. It's got to be from him and with him. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. And so in order to do our next steps and having a better decade all in general and a better us, we need to revise those thinkings, those thoughts, but we also need to take the next step, and that's beginning to revise our strategy. I've got to revise my strategy. 
because my old game plan has just not been working. It's like halftime, and the coach calls everybody into the locker room, like, what are you doing? Like the Cowboys, you know, what is going on? Like, there's a strong talk, and Jerry Jones is also calling down, to the, down into the locker room as well. Well, let's just say God is Jerry Jones in this situation, <laughs> and he's calling down. But what are we thinking? What's our strategy? Why, why is it that we continue to do the same thing, thinking we're going to get different results in life, and what we end up blaming all of our surroundings and our relationships and our situation, rather than saying, maybe I need to do some revision right here and right here so I can revise my strategy so I can, I can handle things. Because most likely your situations won't change, but you sure can. And your perspective and your attitude and your way you handle those things will begin to change your approach and what you think about the situations that are going on around you. It's all about strategy. And God's Word is full of strategy for us to pursue and live the abundant life that Christ came to give us. Well, in order to do that, there's three, there's three essentials. And one of those I want to call the gratitude advantage. Because gratitude is a huge advantage to overcoming any and everything in life, but you've got to have gratitude. We have a church, a body of Christ, that is walking around, I would say, mostly hopeless because of life circumstances or whatever they may be going through. And there's a clear antidote that God has given us to overcome hopelessness, and it's found in Romans 5, 3 through 5. At the end of it, it says this thing, these, these, these will give you hope. Well, what is the antidote? To rejoice. The only way I can rejoice is if I'm walking in gratitude and I begin to thank God, have gratitude towards the things that have gone on in my life and are going on in my life, no matter how painful they may seem to be in temporal realms, in earthly realms, or in my mind. Because if God is truly who he says he is, and, he has, and I am who he says I am, then he must be working this thing out for good, so I need to get into alignment with the good that he is working out in me. Strategy. But i got to revise my thinking and revise my strategy and my approach. So it keeps us hopeful. Number one, gratitude advantage does. And number two, it improves our patience. It improves our patience. Galatians 5, because you can only receive the Holy Spirit. Many of you said you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the past, or maybe you did a couple of weeks ago. But the only way to have the Holy Spirit, to receive the Holy Spirit, is to have gratitude. Because he's not going to come to a place he's not welcome and he's not appreciated. Amen? So we thank you, Lord. Thank you for this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all you're doing. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I welcome you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you. I'm just so thankful for this, this that I'm going through. Right. Thank you, Lord. So it increases, it improves our patience. Well, also, number three, it reminds us we have self-control. I have so many people, I struggle with self-control. I struggle with self-control. I don't have any self-control. Yes, you do. You just don't use it. Because the Holy Spirit works in you, you have the fruit of the Spirit. And so Galatians 5 says, if we have gratitude of our situation, it actually moves us to a place where we can actually realize, you know what, I have control over my destiny and my situations. Now God is in charge, but I have self-control over me. God is in charge, but I still have a choice in this thing, and I still have a choice in these matters. I have self-control, and I need a little gratitude to be thankful over what's going on in my life, what has gone on in my life, so I can, be in, I can use the self-control that God has given me. Then number four is it creates margin for response. In the same way, 
In the same way, gratitude creates margin for response because no longer am I stressed and anxious and worried and fearful and, and just bent about the circumstances or the situation or my, how my life is or my relationships or anything like that because I'm so focused on the pain points. Now I begin to find gratitude, have gratitude and thankfulness for everything that's going on because I'm trusting that God is working out his good in me through the pain. Now I'm no longer focused on the pain points. I'm focused on what God is doing in this, which is going to bring benefit in my life. And what happens is this begins to create margin. Anxiety begins to subside. And now the presence of God is entering into my situation. Gratitude brings this. And it's the same thing and we need to grab a hold of. It's a principle. John 11, 41 and 42, it's in that moment where Lazarus was in the tomb. He had already died, had been dead for four days, and Jesus shows up on the scene. And as an example, in front of everyone, he says, thank you, Father, that you hear me. In fact, thank you that you always hear me. And that's a principle that every one of us need to get because God is omnipresent. He is always right where you are. And when you pray or when you say, when you're declaring thing, his word, his truth, his things, his heart, you can literally rest on the fact that he is hearing you and he is working alongside you in whatever venture that is that's according to his will. And in the midst of that, he's working you out of you so he can get in you. And you can trust that. So he says, thank you. And what happened? It created margin. It created space. It creates room. So in our, in our responses to life situation, we need some margin. We need some internal margin. And so we need a new strategy. So one, number one is the gratitude advantage that we have to grab a hold of if we're going to have a revised strategy. Number two is we need to bring goals with God. We need to bridge goals with God, rather. Bridge goals with God. Sometimes we have goals, sometimes we have God, and sometimes they never even line up. They don't even communicate. We need to bridge our goals, though, with God, and there's only, there's only one way to do that. So why do we have goals? Because goals, when we begin to set out goals, what they do is they begin to lead us towards what we value the most. And get this, we, we must choose to prioritize what we value most over what we want now. It's such a battle because I know what I want in the immediate. I know what I want right now. And it creates such a burning desire in me to get that thing. It's just like, man, I really want to veg out and not, not deal with what I'm thinking about. Let me go to Facebook. Let me go to Netflix. Let me go to the, well, let me go to the fast food restaurant. Let me, go, let me go wherever it is. Let me, maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. Let me, let me do this thing that is completely impulse-driven rather than what it is that I truly want that's going to benefit the future. So we actually neglect what we truly want for what we desire in the moment. So Isaiah 32, 8 says this, But the noble make noble plans, and by noble deeds they stand. The noble will make noble plans, and by noble deeds they stand. So the things that I'm going to do are going to be noble. The plans that I need to make must be noble. Well, what do you do? Luke 14, 28 says this, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Well, that's pretty wise. You know, we're building, we're building a building over behind uh, Waterburg, beside Walmart, behind Cotton Patch right now. 
Well, this project didn't just start in August when we broke ground. It actually started a year ago and about 14 months ago actually now. I sat down. I sat down with the idea of the design. I thought, okay, the vision of the church is this. What facility is going to facilitate the vision that God has for us on Thrive Community Church? What do we need in this stage of our lives so that we can move the vision forward? So I began to plan all of that out, what it should look like, who we're trying to reach, the, the, people, the people group we're trying to reach, even the location has everything to do with the vision of Thrive Community Church. Everything was intentionally planned out with the Lord to reach a certain people group for a certain purpose over a certain time. So then I began to get the engineers and architects involved. They, they began to share the things that were going to be needed for this project. We counted the cost. I got subcontractors together. I got multiple subcontractors for every avenue of this building. And then I began to find a median range of what the cost will be. And then I began to build relationships with the subcontractor. I counted the cost even on a relational level. And then we began to pursue and move forward with the ones that we had a good relationship with, and yet we're still in our cost range, the price range that we wanted to spend to get the end result that we desire. All these things took place. It wasn't just, you know what, I think I'm going to do this right now, and this seems like a good idea. No. To have a revised strategy and a strategy for something successful and productive, we've got to plan out into the future, and that means we've got to do some hard work up front. No farmer is going to just go throw seed on top of an unplowed ground. Right now, you're seeing fields all plowed up because they're, they're, they've tilled the ground, getting it ready for planting season. And that's exactly what you have to do. And maybe you haven't done it. There's no, no sin, no shame, no guilt, no, nothing that you need to live out of. But right now, it's time to do some things different so we can get a different result through the 20s. Well, what do you do? James 4, but James 4, 13 and 15 says this. says, now listen, you who say today and tomorrow uh, we will go to this, this or that city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. But he says instead, and this is where most, most people say, well, this is why I don't even make any plans. I don't know if I'm going to live tomorrow. Who knows what's going to happen? And you're so frustrated with how you're going to get by today that you can't even focus on tomorrow. Well, no wonder. You made no plans. So here's what he says. He says, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Well, what's the gap in there? It doesn't say that we won't do it doesn't say that we won't live with plants if it is the Lord's will. So we've got to get close to the Lord so we can discover what His will is so that we can create plans according to His will and goals according to His will so that we can do this and that, so that we can live this way. And Habakkuk 2.2 says it about this, When you do that, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that whoever reads it, they may run with it. Make it simple. Quit trying to overcomplicate the things of God. Goodness gracious. Put some timelines to it. Put some me measurements to it. So he says, write it down. Why write it down? That just sounds like a lot of work. I got to move my pencil around. I got to get a piece of paper out. I got to do all that. Didn't I do that in school? I did that for 18 years. Somebody say amen. But it forces you to clarify what you believe is important. It forces you to clarify your values. And then it motivates you towards action. There's, almost, there's actually a decision that is being made, a declaration inside, internally, that you are making as you write out that thing, that statement, that paragraph, whatever it is. 
And number three, it helps you to overcome resistance. Because in the midst of that, you're writing things, and you're sitting here thinking through, well, what that, if I do that, then I can't do this, this, and this. If I do that, well, I don't know if I really want to do that, Lord. And so you start being confronted with your own desires in the midst of writing down whatever it is that you know God is leading you to do. Which leads us to number four, it filters out, it filters other opportunities. We are so distracted by the next new thing. You got to pop up on Amazon or eBay or, or Walmart.com or something, or somebody's driving a new car, or got a new set of boots, or a new jacket, or a new sweater, or a new, a new Gucci bag, or a new Louis Vuitton bag, or a new, new uh, Mary Kay something. Whatever it is, we're so distracted by the new thing, but whenever we begin to get focused and write down the things that we're, we're planning out with the Lord, we internalize it, we externalize it, and then it begins to filter the opportunities, meaning, no, this is what I'm doing, and it automatically helps me to say no to all these other distractions. And if we're going to live a better decade, then we've got to get a rid, a lot, a rid of a lot of distractions that have been stealing our time. They're little thieves that are running around us, little, little Satan minions running around distracting us from fulfilling the word of God in our lives and seeing the kingdom come to earth. Why didn't you bring the kingdom like I designed you to? Well, I was distracted by all the nice little things that you were putting on earth. Well, let it sit for a minute. I need to marinate in that one a little bit because everybody, oh, shoot. And then it enables you to, to see and celebrate your progress because we need to celebrate. We need to know, hey, we're actually hitting some benchmarks, some waypoints. Uh, we're hitting some targets. We're, we're moving this needle along in life. We're actually doing something that's productive. And so I need to write that down so I can see it, so I can know, hey, I'm going to check it against this. Am I staying on the right track? Because if I don't, I may be shooting for north, but I hit northeast. And then what I'm going to do? At some point, I've got to redirect. Anybody ever hear your GPS? Reroute, reroute, reroute. So we've got to make it plain, Habakkuk says. And I'm going to give you an acrostic. And uh, those of you who nerd out, you're going to focus in. And uh, those of you who hate this stuff, you really need to engage and focus in. Don't fall asleep. I'm going to throw a ping pong ball at you. All right, so the acrostic has, has letters that lead into a word, and every letter has a meaning. And so we've got to get smart. If, 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 we got to get smart, if we're going to do things differently in this decade, not only do we need to get smart, because we actually need to get smarter. Uh, many of you think, well, if I'm having a short, shortcoming, I'm just going to work harder. No, you need to work smarter. We've got to get to a place where we're actually working smarter, not harder. And that's a hard jump to make because harder is in our control. Smarter is a very challenging thing to do, and i got to make some pre-decisions that will lead me to a destination that I actually desire. But harder, I can just stick my nose to the, my nose to the grindstone, and I just do something, and I feel productive because I actually did something, even though it may not be producing the desired outcome I want in 10 years. But I accomplished something. Well, I can walk around in circles all day long feeling like I accomplished something, but I really didn't accomplish what I really wanted for next week or the next month or the next year. So there's a difference between doing something and doing something of value. So we've got to get specific. Got to get specific. Whenever we start to sit down with the Lord and we get goals with, and plans with Him, He wants to get so specific with us, even though we may not have full clarity because we, we, we know in part, Scripture says, we prophesy in part because we know in part. And so He wants to get specific. It's like taking a water that would normally go through a two-inch line and you're reducing it down to a one-inch pipeline. What happens? It builds a lot of pressure and it has a lot of power behind it. 
it is going to push out anything that is in its way. So it's got to be very specific and very pointed on what it is that God is setting you out to accomplish. And then it's got to be measurable. It's got to be measurable. We need to know that, hey, we are reaching a goal. I need some waypoints in between this and that. I need to know I am actually making it. I am making a difference. I don't want to get lost in the, in the gray. Uh, it also helps us to track our progress. How are we doing, Lord? Here's what we got to do next. How are we doing? Here, here's what we said we're doing. I don't know what's next after that. I know we just, here's where we're at. Are we doing good? Yes. Uh, we actually get this, we actually experience the strongest positive emotional response when we make progress on our most difficult goals. Let me give you an example. Last year, I had to finish a house, uh, finish a, a roofing a house with a tin uh, roof. Uh, my insurance company said, hey, if you don't finish this house by April 20th, we're going to cancel your insurance. They gave me a deadline, <laughs> and, and I had to get really specific on what I was going to do. It was measurable because I had X amount of tin sheets that I needed to put on that house before a certain time. I, I started getting with it. Well, what did it do? I thought I put it off, and I put it off, and I put it off because that was a lot of work. And I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, I'm going to have to do this by myself. I'm certainly not going to pay somebody to do this because I know I can do it. I just don't know that I have the time to do it. What I do, the last week before the April 20th, I spend putting this, this tin roof on this house, 17 and a half foot sheets, I'm putting on the roof by myself, then I'm getting up there, I'm putting them up, I'm cutting ridges, I'm cutting the valleys, I'm putting it all. And every time I sat down to get a drink of water, I wanted to quit, but I told myself, no, get back up right now. And I'd get back up and get right back at it. I remember telling the staff after that week, I felt like I could take on the world. I had done so much. I had accomplished because I had a lot of emotional increase, emotional uh, roll or high because I felt, man, I just did this thing that I didn't know if I would be able to do in such a time as this. And now I feel great about myself. I can do anything now. We like to think that we stay there, but in reality, we usually shrink back and we, fear, or we forget that we did that, and our momentum goes away if we don't keep that momentum, and so then even a, a smaller task becomes a great mountain. There's something in that we need to get. That's why we need to keep moving forward. That's why God wants to keep us moving forward. And so the A in, in smarter is actually actionable. It's not the Bs. I, I want to be, be smarter. Well, I can't measure that. I want to be happier. I want to be, I want to be, I want to be skinnier. Well, what does that look like? You lose a pound? I can't say, well, I want to be more spiritual. What does that even look like? Well, how about this? I want to invest time in discovering spiritual gifts and developing them, and then I will deploy them with others at least once a week. Wow. That, acts me, that, that puts me into action. I'm going to invest. I'm going to discover spiritual gifts. I'm going to develop them because I've got to do that. I'm going to deploy them. I'm going to start looking for a way at least once a week to use a spiritual gift that God has given me. And that is going to put me under pressure so that I do it because I've set a goal for at least once a week. It's actionable. I can measure it. I can track it. I know at the end of the week I can put an X didn't do it or a check did do it. And I promise you God will show up if you do that one. And then risky. It's got to be risky. Why? Because I need a challenge. We're driven more strongly to avoid losses than to achieve gains. 
Most of your decisions are based around, no, I don't know if I can do that. I know I can do this. I don't want to miss out on this, so I'm just going to do what I know I can get away with. I know what I can accomplish. This is easy. I'll stay over here. That's too much of a challenge. I don't know if I can fulfill that. I'm going to avoid that. We're driven more by, by gaining, uh, sorry, by, let me see this, by, uh, where is it at? By avoiding losses than achieving gains. I just don't want to fail. I just want to fail. Goals too low and achieved actually create no emotional, emotional highs. They create no momentum. They create no motivation. Basic, and, and in fact, low goals that are set too low, we usually achieve them, but we don't do it by much margin. And so it's something, you know what, I did it, but I'm not very excited about the fact that I even did it, so it's just something you did. And usually our goals are set around something that we know we're in control of and we can attain with no problem. Get this, number three is, if you can do it without, without faith in God's help, it's not big enough. If you know when you set that goal and you sit down with God and you already know, I can accomplish this thing, then that's not a God goal. That's you trying to stay in your comfort zone so that you don't miss or fail or come short on something. God is trying to stretch you and grow you and move you into greater things. We actually rise to challenge and we procrastinate in comfort. We rise to the challenge. But boy, I just want to, you know what, I'm just going to wait. It's just, I'm just going to stay in my comfort zone. And then he says, run with it. This is where it gets fun. It's got to be S-M-A-R-T. It needs to be time keyed. What does, that, what does that even mean? You do this really well, and you're thinking, I don't do this. I don't know how to do this. Wake up, everybody. Hey, you with me? All right. Well, it is time keyed. You, and any of you who use the devotional, the version devotional, you do this. In fact, version is so smart, they've worked this into you without you even knowing. Let me show you. It's deadline. It needs to have a deadline. If it's going to be time keyed, I need to know that I'm reaching a finish line. It needs to have a deadline. And then in two, it needs to have frequency. It needs to have a start date. When am I going to start this thing? How often am I going to do it? Frequency. And then it needs to have a trumpet blast. I'll explain that in a minute. And then it needs to have a streak target. Well, guess what? When you start a devotional, you know how many days that it's going to be until that thing ends. You know how, many, how, many, how the frequency is. It's every day. And then you know the start date. That's the start date you choose to do it, whether it's today or within a week, whatever you want to do. And then it has a trumpet blast. What is that? It will pop up a notification, say, do you want to reset a reminder? No, I will do it when I choose to do it. But it is asking you if you want to set a triggering reminder, a trumpet blast that says, hey, now's the time. And then it says the streak target. If you look on your home screen of version, it will tell you how many days in the app you have succeeded. Every one of those, you have a habit that you are working, and every one of those are in your version app. So you do this really well. What if you applied it to something equally as important in another area of your life? What if it was prayer with your spouse? What if it was financial gain? What was his financial investments? What if it was time with your children? What if you had all of these that would set you up for success in every area of your life because God wants you to flourish and live abundantly in every area of your life? The what if. And then the achievement, it's broken down, target key, it's broken down into achievement goals and habit goals. Achievement goals must have a deadline. Without it, they're meaningless. Well, I'm not achieving anything if I don't know when I'm going to end and I need to meet an ending. I need to accomplish this thing before I get to this ending. 
Deadlines create urgency and focus. And whenever we're in this urgency zone, if it's on fire, all of a sudden we get focused. You don't want to have too many of those in the fire zone because you'll get stressed. If you're always putting your, your goals or your ideas or your plans or your needs in the fire zone, it's called an urgent, it's a Q1 and another leadership, a conversation that we've had here at Thrive, you are putting yourself under stress. However, we need, we need this urgency zone to move us forward with momentum. We need one or two areas of life where we're in the urgency. We're trying to achieve something new. Tighter deadlines actually increase our performance, and they drive momentum of greater God goals. I accomplished this. While I did that, what else could I do? What else could we do, God? What else can we accomplish together? And what happens is you start going through life, living the abundant life that God created you for, and you don't even know you did it because you were focused on the goals that you and God were setting up and tearing down and knocking down and completing together. And all of a sudden, those decisions, which eliminated every other decision in your life, caused you to, be, to live the abundant life and to be, to be progressive. And that's what we all want. We just don't know how to get there. So we have to revise our strategy. Now, I didn't learn this in school. I learned this through the school of hard knocks. I learned this through figuring it out and failing, and then figuring it out again and failing, and then picking it back up and failing. You got to get, Job 39, 25 says this, at the blast of the trumpet, he says, aha. Job is in this process of confronting, I'm sorry, God is in this process of confronting Job because of his pride. And in chapter 38 and 39, he goes, I made the horse, I made the war horse. And even, even the war horse, at the blast of the trumpet, he says, aha. And then he smells, he smells the battle, he smells the warfare coming on. So, should, so too should we, Scripture says that he prepares the war horse for battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. We are, we are war horses being prepared for battle. So rightly so, somebody says, why, why the long face? <laughs> Come on. Some of you got long faces in here, you're a war horse. Get it up. Hey, the streak target. The streak needs a streak target. How many times in a row can you do it before it actually becomes a habit? Well, we think 21 days it takes to break to, to start a habit. No, it takes 21 days to break an old habit, 21 days to begin to set a new habit, and then 21 days to actually make that habit a true habit, a second nature habit. Actually, depending on the difficulty of that habit, it takes anywhere from the 63 days to 250 days for you to start something new, break something old, and then it become actual second nature to you. It doesn't come easy. It comes with a little bit of effort and pressing into the Lord and working with Him and in prayer and in being committed and being decisive. Now, I will tell you that God can do it in an instant. In his providential, supernatural ways, he can break anything in your life that he chooses in that moment. But sometimes the breaking it in your life is co-laboring with you to help you, develop you, strengthen you as a human being, as an individual walking, out, walking things out with him so that you'll become more committed, more dedicated, more reliant on him. He does it how he wants. We just, we just have to choose and agree with the process. And then, and then exciting does, it in, does this thing externally, I'm sorry, internally motivate you to do them? Does this, does, this, does this God goal, is it so big and it's so exciting that it sends you on a spiritual journey with God to be able to accomplish it? Does the things in your life, I'm going to ask you right now, do the things in your life make you so challenged, so almost intimidated by it that you have to press into God so that this thing can be fulfilled or is it, I got this? 
I got this. If you don't enjoy something about them, though, let me tell you, whenever things start, when times start to get tough and tedious, that's when you start to give up. And that's when people start to check out and say, well, I feel like I'm called to do something else. I think I'm called to go somewhere else. This just got too tough. I think, I think I'm called to, to not do this goal. <laughs> I think I'm called to another job. I think I'm called to... I think I'm called, when it gets tough and tedious, you've got to know that you've decided this thing with God and it's His plan for your life because you will give up. It's in that time where He puts you on the potter's wheel and He begins to reform you and He's cooking out the, the impurities that are in your life and He begins to make things really difficult for you. He brings new challenges into your life and it's in that season that He begins to form the new you and get rid of the old you so that you can become all God created you to be and you've got to go through the tough and the tedious and the time-consuming events in life. It's not easy. You didn't get called and brought into an easy life in Christ. Then it's got to be relevant. Does that align with the demands of your life in this season? As you set goals and plans with the Lord, do they align with each other? Because conflicting goals and misaligned goals will actually begin to cause more friction and more misalignment. If you're doing this with your spouse, you get a, your goals should line up. Your financial goals should line up. Your vacation goals should line up. Your, your time goals should line up. Otherwise, you're going to create more friction. And it's probably not God. It's probably just your idea and your desires. God wants to give you the desires of, of your heart, but He wants to be the desires that He's given you in your heart. He's trying to revise your strategy for life. And number three, you got to seek discomfort. You're going to have to seek discomfort. Give yourself permission to dream big again. Many of you are thinking, well, I tried and I failed that. Or I got in a relationship and that failed. Or I, or I, I put myself out there for new friends and that failed. Or maybe I tried those investments, but that failed. I tried this spiritual journey thing, but that failed. I tried God, but that failed. Give yourself permission to dream big again. Maybe it is in those areas, new opportunities, friendships, relationships, whatever. Discomfort actually is a catalyst for change. And without it, we'll do very little and we'll accomplish even less. We'll complain because life happened to us rather than taking life on one event at a time, dealing it, handling it out with God. I'm not trying to put down your current life strategy, but I am asking you to put it to the challenge and the test of God plans. God plans require more emotional, physical, and financial resources than you currently have. If you say, I've got enough of any of these, you're not doing this with God. You are taking complete control over your life and you're asking God to spend some time with you along the way. It's going to take some challenge. It's going to take some getting uncomfortable. John 6, 27 says this, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. He will give you. So oftentimes we just work for the comforts. That's the food. Man, I'm just going to go fast. I need enough money so I can go eat. I'm working for comforts. But work for food that actually endures. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to, leads to poverty. 
Unfortunately, we equate comfort with happiness, and we become such a comfortable society, we have no joy, we have no hope, our focus is on comfort, and there's very little adventure, very little of anything that pushes us to be greater in our lives anymore. So what are we going to do? We've got to get rid of the Bilbo Baggins in our life. Y'all know Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit. Gandalf shows up to his house, and he says, hey, uh, you ready to go on an adventure? And Bilbo goes, no, no, no. No adventures here. Nobody, nobody's going on an adventure here. Adventure causes you, adventures cause you to miss dinner. And, and that's the truth for most of our lives. No, no, no. That's going to cause me to get out of my comfort zone a little bit. Mm-mm, no change. I like it just the way I've had enough adventure in my life. Thank you very much. I'm done with that. Let's just sit on a couch and let's rest and have our TV tray. I don't know how the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in with me at my TV tray, but I hope somebody else does it because I don't want any adventure in my life. I don't know why my life keeps happening this way and the way it is and it has been for the last 20 years, but I hope somebody does something about it. I'm going to complain and sit here, and I hope the government gives me some welfare check or something. Somebody takes care of my stuff. I don't know how it's going to be, but I'm not going to step up to the challenge and start doing things differently. I'm not going to take on a new strategy. Somebody's going to have to step in and be, and be my provider. These are the thoughts that run through all of our minds whenever we get to that place of comfort. We start to protect comfort rather than protecting the things of God in our lives and against our own selves. We've got to put ourselves into a little bit of contempt if we're going to move forward. Instead of, instead of connecting with Bilbo Baggins, we've got to connect with Lazarus a little bit. And it's in that, that time where you start to get confronted because Lazarus had a second chance. And as long as you're alive, you have a second chance. Ten years ago, I read this book. It's called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it began to rock my world. And it began to change my, my perspective on self-leadership. And it began to make me process some things that began to shape how I would make decisions in the future. And one of those, if you had changed the screen, one of those was beginning with the end in mind. Because one day, this is going to be real. And for many, spiritually, this is real. And for many, with hope, this is real. And when you're in this place and everybody's standing around, hopefully there's people there who loved you, your wife, your kids, your pastor, your boss, your friends, your coworkers, your amigos, whatever it is, and you're actually there and they don't know you're there and you're listening to what they're saying, what is it that you want them to say about you when you're standing there? And you may be thinking, well, this is really sad, Pastor Nathan. Why are you going to do this to me? No, what's sad is getting to this place and realizing it's not where you wanted to go in life. You never revised your strategy, and now what you really wanted, you're realizing that it's too far gone to reach. That would be sad. But right now, you have a chance. Right now, you can sit down and you can write it out, and you can work it out, and you can deal it out with God, and you can revise your strategy to move on to new things, to move on to God things, to move into things that may bring these three emotions that you're going to have to confront, and you're going to have to rework in your own life. Fear, uncertainty, doubt. Instead of 
letting them lead or even paralyzing you. When you're confronted with any one of these three things, you're going to have to convince yourself that, no, this is a point of excitement, and I'm going to move through this thing because I know with history and making momentum of things that God and I that have overcome, I know if I press through this fear, this uncertainty, or this doubt, there is something good, God, and great on the other side of this thing. And it's through me being on the potter's wheel of moving through this fear, doubt, and uncertainty because I know there's something on the other side of this that God is going to form inside of me that I need in order to go to the next level of life. Faith to faith and glory to glory. But I've got to choose that I'm going to redefine these three words when they begin to emerge in my life as called emotions. And when I see them, I think differently about them. No longer will they control me. They create a surge of excitement. Woo! Come on. I see some fear in the way. I can't wait to see what's on the other side of this thing, baby. Uncertainty? Yes! Hallelujah! I don't know how this thing's going to work out. Doubt? Am I good enough? Hallelujah! Yes! Come on, God! Because that's when He can show up. Because if it's all in your control and it's certain and you have no, no fear or worry if it's going to work out or if you have no doubt, then God doesn't even have any room to show up in that. Good job. Patting each other on the butt. You did good. But when God shows up, when I got to get to that place where all I know I can do is pray for this individual and I just pray that they get healed, that's when God shows up. There's a threshold between natural and faith, and we've got to get to the, that threshold, and we've got to stand on that threshold knowing that beyond that, I do what I do, and i got to let God do all He can do, but if I don't get on that threshold, I'm just doing what I can do. some point, we've got to take on fear, uncertainty, and doubt with some excitement and some momentum, and it's got to be the fuel that actually drives us to do the things that we know God is calling and creating and purposed us to do. And it's not going to come easy. Yes, you'll be stressed. Yes, you'll be anxious at times. Yes, you'll try to figure it out, but don't cause it to run from Him. Cause it to run into Him. And that's when the change happens. That's when you start to change. That's when He starts to impart the desires of His heart into your heart so that you can walk out His will. You're so vulnerable at that point that you can't help but to take on His will because you're like a little child resting in His Father's arms and all you do, you're trying to stay safe in the midst of this, but you know you can't go backwards. The things that you're fearing in front of you and the uncertainty is way better. It's got to be way better than going backwards. I can't do that again. That hurt. It's good. I'm telling you, it's good. I want to pray for you. We've got to seek discomfort. We've got to take on the gratitude advantage. And we've got to bridge goals with God. And maybe you're here today, and you're thinking, yeah, I need to revise my strategy. And maybe something spoke to you during this message, and God is really pulling at your heart right now, and I just want to ask humbly, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? No one's looking around. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All across the room, thank you, thank you. That's a humble response to God, saying, God, I need you to work in my life, and I'm ready. I'm ready. 
And maybe your next step is the equip track that we're having after our, our second service. Maybe your next step is just beginning to pray. Maybe your next step is the beginning to get in devotion into the Word of God and spending time near Him. Maybe your next step is that mission trip we're talking about. Maybe your next step is just sitting down and beginning to articulate on words and on a book and a piece of paper what it is that's been in your heart for so long that you've been running from and running from, but it's actually causing you to live life in such a way that you don't even like, and you're just running and running and running. Maybe it's time to start getting that out on paper and just beginning to examine, reframe it, rework it, revise reorient yourself to what God's word says about who you are. Father, I just thank you so much. Thank you that you called each and every one of us. For those who are coming to know you even today, I just pray for your level, your grace upon their lives and your grace upon their hearts and your grace upon their souls that they just receive you and you receive them with humility. Father, I, I thank you for what you're doing here and I thank you that you've given us strategy for 2020s, the, de the new decade, so that we don't have to live life in the same as we did in the past. Thank you that you're pruning things that were good, that bore fruit, so that you can bear more fruit in our lives. Thank you that you've given us new thoughts and new methods and new ways. Thank you that you're making us smarter. Father, I pray for the grace and an empowerment on each individual to go through and just process these truths with you and pray that I pray that they begin to get new God ideas and new new God vision for their lives and for their families, for their finances, for their vocation, for their hobbies, for, for every area of life, for their, their church life, their spiritual journey. I pray that they even jump on a spiritual journey this year, Father. Just pray for strength. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Can we just can we stand up and and let's just worship one more time before we get out of here. I want to remind you guys, our whole freedom ministry is coming up. Immediately following worship, we're going to have a prayer team. If you need prayer for anything, please come forward. If you need prayer because you have hurts or wounds or maybe you're giving your life over to Christ. If you have prayer, if you need prayer, someone just to agree with you. If you used to say, I don't know how to do this, I need somebody to pray over me. Whatever it is that your need is, don't come out, don't leave this place without receiving prayer and agreement. Maybe you need healing. This is a place of healing. There are people that will be up here that are filled with the baptism, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they want to lay hands on you. They want to pray with you. They want to be in agreement over what God is saying over your body. Maybe you need an encouraging word. Well, there are same people up here that can hear from God with you to confirm the very things that you know God is already telling you. That is the power of God, and it is the church that mobilizes inside and out of a building so that the kingdom of God can come to earth. And it's your part. Let's just worship in God because He is a good God. Amen?